Hi, my name is Matt Jarbo. Welcome back to another episode of Patio Commentary. This is episode 30, I believe, and we're going to be diving into a recently released movie that has been on my brain for the last couple days since I saw it. And that has a lot to do with the fact that I feel that this movie is kind of misrepresenting itself in regards to what we saw in the trailer versus what we see in the movie. But that being said, the story of Cocaine Bear, everything leading up to it is so interesting, so fascinating. It's pure Hollywood stories, stories inspired by real life events where, yeah, it's a crazy idea on paper. But once you extrapolate that into a script that's meant to be wild and zany and crazy and bring in the average moviegoer, obviously all bets are off when it comes to the adaptation, especially in this particular case. So here today on the show, we are going to be talking about the true story of the cocaine bear from back in the mid 1980s. I'll give you guys my thoughts on how it all came to be the writer, the director, my general thoughts on the movie. And of course, talking about its uh, box office score, as well as critical reception and all the fun stuff in between. And so if you do enjoy patio commentary and you guys like what I do here, please do me a solid leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you can definitely share it with your friends, check it out on patiocommentary.com. That website will be coming soon as well as patreon.com forward slash Matt Jarbo. If you want to support the show, but at the very least, just listen and let me know what you guys think, because I always want to make the show great. I always want to make sure that you guys are very much in the mix with what's going on. So with that out of the way, Let's talk about this movie because its synopsis is one that is instantaneously going to get your attention. So here is how Universal uh, puts out the synopsis for Cocaine Bear. After a 500-pound black bear consumes a significant amount of cocaine and embarks on a drug-fueled rampage, an eccentric gathering of cops, criminals, tourists, and teenagers assemble in the Georgia forest. Now, that is a very broad definition of what this movie is again it gives you this kind of interesting concept to just kind of ruminate on in your mind and and again like the trailer for this movie i saw the trailer for this with a live audience in front of violent night about three months ago now and my audience for violent night absolutely lost their mind over this trailer they were hooting they were hollering they were cheering they were clapping this signaled to me that this movie was going to be like the first real big movie of 2023 that wasn't like a sequel or a franchise film or something along those lines. Like this was going to be something that was going to be massive. And I have to say, it definitely didn't wow me. I'll just start off by saying that. I said that in the opening, it's a swing and a miss for me. And I'll talk about why, but I still want to go into what I think the movie did well, what I liked about the movie. And ultimately what I'd like to see from a sequel, because at this point, I think it's going to happen. The movie actually overperformed in its opening weekend, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But yeah, so we have that. So let's go into the writer, right? The guy behind all of this, like how it all came together, how, how it all came to be. Well, Jimmy Warden is a screenwriter who you've probably never heard of. And that's absolutely okay. He's really only known for like, one other movie that he wrote, and that was the babysitter killer queen from 2020. He actually wrote that movie for McGee in the movie co-stars, his IRL wife, Samara weaving. He also was a former production assistant at Lord Miller 
before becoming a screenwriter. Phil Lord and Chris Miller produced this movie, right? They have an option deal with uh, Universal, like a first look deal, and they got this script from Jimmy, clearly, you know, playing up the cronyism card in Hollywood because it's all about who you know, so good for him. And they loved the concept and they were able to package it together, take it to Universal and get it made. Because according to just all the information I could find, really, he just he wrote this movie. We'll talk a bit more about his inspiration as we get into the how it's made section. And then he just sent it over to Lord and Miller and they liked it and helped him pitch it to Universal. And that's it. Like, that's the story. That's that's the interviews I read. That's what I was able to find. And I was kind of laughing at that because. It really does go to show you like how Hollywood operates because it is about who you know, right? When I used to work in LA, I worked for this place called Mark's Garden. It was a flower shop for the stars, like literally Kendall Jenner would call in every day. And I would talk to a bunch of these assistants and like these these executive assistants and all these people who worked for like big, massive talent. And we would actually talk about the industry and about what it takes to get going in the industry while I was taking their calls. It was great to just have that kind of direct inside track during the brief time I worked there. And everyone is telling me, again, it's really about just who you know. It's about just doing the work, doing the legwork. And then eventually you might find yourself in a position where you can submit an idea to somebody and maybe get it picked up. You can pitch it and maybe get it. And this is kind of one of those situations. Sure. Jimmy Warden, you know, he's got an in with Lord Miller. He's worked with McGee and he's worked with Netflix and he's got a little bit of a name going for himself. He also has his wife who definitely is an up and coming talent. Samara Weaving is fantastic. So those things do kind of like open the door. I mean, he's kind of like, a pre-nepo baby, if you think about it, right? It's it's a cronyism thing. It's a nepotism thing, but it's also a lot of hard work and dedication. And so it's it's kind of weird to see some people criticize that uh, when they talk about these stories, because you're just like, this guy has earned his spot. I'm not trying to denigrate the guy. Literally, congratulations. This movie has done very well, even if I wasn't the biggest fan of it. And the script wasn't the biggest problem that I had. In fact, a lot of the problem that I have with the movie lies with the director. Now, Elizabeth Banks is coming off of Charlie's Angels, the 2019 flop. All right. Charlie's Angels was not a good movie. And that movie tried so hard to fit in to this like preconceived check the boxes of where we find ourselves these days with modern movie making in regards to pushing certain agendas. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think representation matters. I think different stories matter, but it is really about execution. And a lot of what Charlie's Angels put out there simply wasn't what a lot of audiences wanted. It it got largely attacked online and the movie itself wasn't very good. And so Elizabeth Banks really needed something, I think, to kind of come back with, okay? Because, you know, Pitch Perfect franchise, she had directed Pitch Perfect 2, and that franchise is over now and everyone's moved on. And so obviously, you know, the the 40-year-old virgin act- actress, the Hunger Games actress, the Spider-Man actress, I mean, she's done a lot of work and I think she's a fantastic actress, but she needed something to really kind of sink her teeth into, so to speak. And uh, she, I think, really wanted to do something that was going to be a little bit different. And she actually talked about how Um, She went to Universal with this like really unique pitch and that's what they bought and that's how the movie got made. 
because uh, like I said before, some critics praised her for updating Charlie's Angels with the feminist twist and for creating a diverse cast. Uh, but others felt that the movie was formulaic and lacked the energy and excitement that you would expect from a movie like this, or at least looking at the previous movies that were both directed by McG. So when we talk about the formulaic and lack of energy and excitement, that actually is something that heavily applies to this movie as well, which is weird to say about a film where you've got a 500 pound raging cocaine fueled bear in the woods of Georgia. And yet there wasn't a lot of excitement or energy. The trailer had it in spades. The movie simply didn't. And we'll talk more about that as time goes on. Again, I congrats to her for getting this movie made, but I do think that's something really worth looking at in many ways. But let's let's move on from that and let's talk about how exactly this movie came to be. Because this is, of course, is such an interesting and an awesome story and, and one that I, I am glad exists. I really am. Uh, so Jimmy Warden, when uh, he was working on the idea of Cocaine Bear, he explained that the movie was actually inspired by a true story that he had just simply read about on the internet in which a black bear in Georgia died after eating cocaine that had dropped out of a smuggler's plane. And then Warden just kind of looked at that concept and went like, hey, there's a lot of potential here. There's there's, there's a movie in this. And he started developing the script. Now, when we talk about Cocaine Bear, I think himself or herself, I don't know what the gender of the bear is. We do have to talk about the original story. We have to talk about that. So this is what it was. Uh, Cocaine Bear is loosely inspired by the true events that occurred in December 1985, in which a 175 pound American black bear died after ingesting a duffel bag full of cocaine. That is a true statement that happened and somebody had to write that. You have to love it. The cocaine had been dropped out of an airplane by Andrew C. Thornton II, a former narcotics officer and convicted drug smuggler. Because his plane was carrying too heavy a load, Thornton uh, dumped all the cocaine out and then died after jumping out of the plane with a faulty parachute. The bear was found three months later in northern Georgia alongside 40 opened plastic containers of cocaine, I think worth roughly about $15 million. Uh, the bear lived for only a few minutes, completely high out of its mind before it croaked. So obviously, if you're going to make this thing a raging bear, you have to have it live on cocaine for quite a bit longer. The uh, bear is now known as Cocaine Bear, but that only happened in 2015, and it was actually taken, and it was taxidermied, and it is now in the Kentucky Fun Mall in Lexington, Kentucky. In fact, there was a, a, a movie theater out there this past weekend that was prominently showing the Cocaine Bear, the real-life Cocaine Bear uh, outside of the theater, and I was like, look, if I lived anywhere near Kentucky, like if 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 this specific bear was within like a 200 250 mile radius to me, you know, we're talking like a four hour drive or whatever. I would head out there in order just to see this damn thing. I think that would have been a blast to do. But then again, I live outside of Seattle. So for me, this is simply not going to happen. Uh, but then, of course, after seeing the movie, I'm kind of glad I didn't, to be fair. But anyway, that's the story of Cocaine Bear. That's what really happened. And, and now Jimmy had to try to take this premise right this basic premise of a story and then expand upon it to make it far more entertaining 
So he decided to create a fictional story in which the bear doesn't die and instead just simply goes on a rampage with a group of human characters who get caught in the chaos. He also emphasized the importance of living up to the title of the movie and delivering on the promise of its premise, which is 100% what the movie attempts to do, like flat out attempts to do. And so you have to really give it a lot of credit for that. So anyway, fast forward to December 2019, it was announced that Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the producers of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, were teaming up with the directing duo behind Ready or Not, which would be Radio Silence, in order to make this unique bear-driven horror comedy with heart. That was the original tag they were putting out there. The untitled film, which you know at the time didn't have the name Cocaine Bear, was picked up by Universal Pictures and Lord and Miller were going to produce it through their first look deal at the studio while collaborating with the Ready or Not team of Matt uh, Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett. In order to get Universal to pony up the 30 to $35 million, the movie was generally pitched as a cross between Good Boys and The Revenant. Everyone just wants to see Leo get f by that bear, right? I mean, that's literally the whole point of the movie. You, you go to Cocaine Bear to see a bear rage you know like when i took my dad to go see avatar in cinemark xd we were walking out of the theater and he saw the cocaine bear poster and he was like oh i've seen the trailer for this this looks really funny i want to see this and my dad doesn't normally want to do that so the concept of a person who was in his 20s in the 1980s who i'm assuming probably did cocaine all right i'm just going to suggest at this point my father did cocaine I could see why that would be something he'd be interested in. So there's obviously an audience for people to watch this movie. And so, yeah, kind of kind of comparing it to Good Boys, which I don't think a lot of people saw that movie when it came out a couple years back. But but comparing it to The Revenant, because we all know the bear scene from The Revenant, that's clearly what's going to get a lot of people's attention. Uh, now, things on the film did go silent until uh, about three months later on March 21st, 2020, when it was announced that Elizabeth Banks had taken over as director of the film and she was producing it under her company, Brownstone Productions, which she shares with her husband. The other directors from Radio Silence actually had turned down making Cocaine Bear so they could go off and go do Scream 5. And they are now currently working on Scream 6, which comes out here very soon. And I think their next movie is the Escape from New York remake which I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that concept, but, but their work on ready or not was utterly fantastic. I haven't seen scream five. I'm going to see it before I see scream six, obviously, but their work on ready or not was really fantastic. And they could probably breathe some new life into that concept, even though my personal thing is that it's perfect the way that it is and it doesn't need to be touched, but they are at least talented and seem to have a real love for that kind of cinema. I would have loved to have seen what they did with Cocaine Bear. I just, uh, just knowing that information that they turned it down to go to Scream, which is fine for their career. But man, I would have loved to have seen what those guys would have done with this movie. Holy crap. So principal photography for the film took place between August and October of 2021 in County Wicklow, Ireland which did a pretty decent job of replicating, you know, Tennessee, which I figure with even tax incentives, they probably could have taken that 30 to $35 million and just shot it in Tennessee. But maybe Ireland just offered them something better in return. I don't know, but it still feels really weird 
when it's a movie taking place in a forest in the American South, literally going to Ireland in order to film it. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying this, that's interesting. I, I, I'm assuming most of the budget clearly went to uh, Weta because they're the ones who created the cocaine bear uh, using their, their fantastic CGI software. And they did a great job. Okay. I'm going to give you guys my thoughts on the movie. It will be spoiler filled. It will be brief. I'll talk about what I like. I'll talk about what I don't like. Uh, I'll start with, uh, with what I don't like about the movie simply because I feel like there's probably more there to talk about as a whole. Now, as I mentioned before, the criticisms levied at Elizabeth Banks for Charlie's Angels was just that it lacked energy and it was just kind of, you know, it was just, it was just, uh, it didn't have any excitement to it. This movie very much has the same thing. So it starts off with the plane that Andrew C. Thornton is on. He hits his head as he's trying to exit. He dies. Cocaine flies into the forest. Obviously, it cuts to the bear. The bear then kills a couple hikers. We've seen that in the trailer. And the bear is basically just Jaws meets Jason. If you guys want my honest opinion, I think that's the best way to look at it. So here is where we get introduced to the main cavalcade of characters. And you've got Dee Dee and Henry, the two kids we see in the trailer, the two that kind of set off for the mountains in order to go and spray paint a waterfall that Dee Dee was supposed to do with her mom. Sorry, who is played by Carrie Russell, who has kind of just been blowing her off because she's got a new boyfriend that is in a band. You know, and they're going to go spend time together and that pissed off Dee Dee. And so Dee Dee does the rebellious teenager thing, takes off into the woods, does cocaine when they find it. They kind of do. It's just, it, this, I don't know. It just what, whatever. Then, of course, you've got Sid played by Ray Liotta. And Sid is the drug dealer. He is the kingpin. He's the guy on the hook for like 15, 20 million to the Colombians or the Peruvians or whomever. And that's why he needs to get the cocaine back, because if he doesn't, then they're going to kill him and his entire family. And he wants to protect his son, uh, you know, um, Eddie. And and he's been looking after Eddie's kid because Eddie's wife, Joni, died. And Eddie is an absolute mess. And Eddie just ran away. He just gave up his kid, gave it to his dad, who's, you know, a drug dealer and a mob boss. If you think about it, a crime boss and just left. Right. Just left. Just took off. Just just bailed. You know, and so Sid wants David, played by O'Shea Jackson Jr., to head off into the forest in order to retrieve the cocaine and to take Eddie with him. And then the two go off and they have their own little adventure while they're doing this. And again, it's just a lot of Alden Eichenreich crying. He's upset. He's manic. He's just whatever. And then you get to the the woods and you meet Margot Martindale's character, you know, uh, Ranger Liz. And then there's these like three teenagers who are like these hooligans in the woods. And she's talking about them as one of them is like very openly and blatantly stealing, which she's completely oblivious to because Jesse Tyler Ferguson is on his way up there. He's the naturalist. And she's like, oh, I just want to get with him. So she's all trying to smell pretty and everything else. And then, of course, they take off into the woods uh, with Sari. And, uh, and, and, you know, D David goes into the bathroom when they get there and, and the three teenagers try to rob him. So they fight and he ends up like kicking the crap out of all of them, but then keeps one of them alive in order to lead them to the cocaine that they found. It, it's just, you got, what you have to understand about this movie, and this is why it's difficult to talk about is it's just a series of scenes loosely connected by the desire to watch a bear maul all of these people or to just see what kind of gore and carnage is going to get 
cranked up to 11 in order to, you know, satiate our being the viewer's desire for bloodlust. And again, the trailer, the trailer gives you, I would say, like 85% of all the good shit. If I'm being, if I'm being 100% honest on his one, because once everyone gets out to the forest and they're trying to get away from the bear, you've seen most of that, right? You've seen most of that in the trailer. There's the whole thing with the trees and the bear runs up and kills Jesse Tyler Ferguson, like brutally just slashes him open as he's just dangling there, getting covered in blood. No one can do anything. And they just kind of like hold the camera on it for a while and just let him scream and just get covered in blood. And it's like, I'm like, all right, like if there's a joke here, this, it reminded me of the scene. Well, it just reminded me of going on way too long, right? There's like, there's no intensity there. You either have to be intense or you have to be funny in order to be like a, a, a horror comedy. And this is the same thing that Universal tried arguing that Megan was. So it was like their second movie in 2023. They've tried to argue is like a horror comedy. Neither movie is really like, well, Megan wasn't played for laughs. It was meant to be a horror movie. And this is meant to be a comedy that is more of a horror movie, but actually just kind of follows, I don't know, like just the steps. It just checks the boxes of what a movie should have. You've got your, your A plot, your B plot. Good luck figuring out which one is which. They all come together in the end. You've got characters that they spend an inordinate amount of time with. Um, like, um, like, God, who was it? Uh, Bob, the detective, right? Bob, the detective. Let's talk about Bob, the detective. So Bob, you know, he, he, he comes, he, he's there investigating the dead body of the drug dealer. He knows that this guy worked for Sid. He wants to bring Sid down. So he decides to take off to the woods, you know, which is a couple hours away. Cause he's not, he's not there in order to try to find Sid or try to find the cocaine, even though he's out of his jurisdiction. And in the process of this, he ends up like getting a dog, right? Like somehow he'd ordered this like companion dog and it wasn't the dog he ordered. It was this little like Pomeranian thing uh, named Rosie. And he ends up leaving it with uh, his his other officer, right? Uh, officer Reba, who apparently had a dog. Like there's this whole conversation that they have. He leaves her with the dog. But then as he's go his journey, he starts thinking back to Rosie and he's like, I just miss Rosie. And then he eventually gets shot and he's dying and he just starts thinking about, he's thinking about Rosie and stuff. It's like, you didn't even want her five minutes ago. You didn't even want her. You, you, you didn't, you were calling at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the day, he had called the adoption agency wanting to return this dog because it wasn't the dog that he wanted. Right. And obviously the idea there, the, 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 the meaning of the, of the, of that particular storyline is to meant to definitely like coincide with what Eddie's arc is and Eddie's arc is that his wife died and he's upset, but he's still got to be a father for his kid, you know, and he's got to figure out how to be a father and he's got to figure out how to like, you know, find that bond and, and everything else. And so he ends up getting the dog at the end of the movie because that's kind of what happens. It's just, it, but it just, it's like the messaging is, it's not, it's not congruent. It's not congruent. It's just all over the place, you know? And so then eventually Sid shows up because that's how he dies. And then they all go off and look for the, look for the, the cocaine and they, they track it to the bear's cave. And the same thing happens with sorry. And she's got Henry with her and they track Dee Dee, who kind of left this trail of, 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 you know, personal belongings, a trail of crumbs leading her to or them to the cave to find her. Uh, then they find out that not only is the bear high on cocaine, 
the bear is a is a is a female bear, is a mama bear, has two cubs, and the cubs are also high on cocaine. Yeah, that was a joke in the movie, right? Kids are high on coke, man. The bear cubs are high on coke. I, that was literally in the movie. So then, of course, you know the final battle happens. Uh, Ray Liotta gets killed, and he dies in a pretty pretty violent way, which I thought was pretty cool. He gets like his gut cut open by the bear, and then like his intestines get fed on by the baby bears, and then the mama bear kicks his body off of a, off of a cliff, but holds on to the coke, and then they all kind of roar in the night like T-Rex from Jurassic Park, you know, I'm like, okay. And then Eddie gets away and him and David go back and give the dog to the kid and you know, whatever. And everyone goes home and you're like, okay, the movie, the, the, the movie is a collection of scenes. All right. Like people like to, you know, crap on movie 43 for being just a series of skits. This kind of feels like the same thing, but they're, they're, they're loosely connected in regards to like to characters. You have the whole thing with like Margot Martindale. She gets attacked. She runs back. The, uh, the teenagers that have been attacking people are in the ranger station. Uh, she's afraid. She pulls out the gun. She tries to shoot the bear, ends up killing one of those guys. That part was kind of cool. I'll admit, but then like the bear breaks in and kills the other guy that's there. Uh, then you have the scene in the trailer where like the, the paramedics show up and, you know, like Scott Sice is in it and I love him from his TikToks. So like that was really exciting for me. But again, pretty much everything you see in the trailer is what you see of him. And then they all die and they all die pretty violently, but they, they still all just they all just die. I'm like, OK. And then at the end of the movie, as as the, the kids and, and Carrie Russell are walking away, they're exiting out the park where the ambulance is clearly uh, you know, destroyed. Margot Martindale's body is on the ground. Uh, and they just go, Oh, well, let's just, you know, just don't, don't get too close to her. Like not even, Oh my God, is she okay? Just more like, yeah, we're just going to get the hell out of here. We're not even going to worry about it as cops are coming in. No one's stopping to take their statement. It's just, there's like, you know, it's the sun rising. They survived the night. Let's just go home and not even think about this kind of stuff. And then Dee Dee's like, but I, I want to go to go see this guy's band. It just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, what happened to this movie guys. I really honestly, uh, do not know what happened with this film. The concept is there. The idea is there. It's a lot of fun in many ways. I know I'm nitpicking it, but it's just basically like the idea of like, I feel that the movie was entirely in the marketing and that the movie, uh, does not live up to the expectations set by the marketing because like I keep pointing out, Elizabeth Banks has been criticized for directing with a lack of energy and excitement. And both of those elements were missing from so many parts of this movie, which is why I think had the radio silence guys done it, had Todd Phillips done it, had Phil Lord or Chris Miller done it, had anyone with an actual eye for dark comedy done this movie or help bring in like an actual horror director who wants to play up dark comedy elements of it. Because the dark comedy is there. It just failed to connect, to materialize in any conceivable way. Like my audience, dead silent, right? When I saw the trailer with the audience, as I mentioned before, they were going crazy, hoot and holler and all that stuff, right? Can't wait to see it. My audience, dead silent. I think I openly laughed or guffawed like three, four times in the movie. But I kept wait. I'm watching the movie and every time it got to a scene with the characters, I'm like, just bring in the bear to kill him. Because that's what I'm here for. 
And thank God it was short. I'm just saying, thank God it was short. But look, apparently I'm alone on this, at least in regards to the audience. Critics, on the other hand, I think they definitely kind of agree with me. Now, over on Rotten Tomatoes, it's rocking about a 68% positive. Uh, the general consensus is that despite Cocaine Bear's half-baked plot and uneven acting, the titular fur-friend scene-snorting frenzy will give B-movie enthusiasts a contact high. That's what they said. Metacritic, on the other hand, uh, gave it a 54 out of 100 and giving it mixed or average reviews. The uh, screenwriter, Jimmy Warden, actually looking at the review score on Rotten Tomatoes when it was at 69% because it actually had gone up from 68 to 69. He had said here, I'd like to thank everyone for making this happen, especially all the critics who love the movie, but kindly agreed to give it a negative review so we could hit our number. Hashtag 69 for Cocaine Bear. Guy, like. Now, he I, if that's his idea of a joke. I don't, I'm just, I feel like I'm unfairly bashing on this movie, but I don't feel anyone's doing it any favors. I just don't feel that specific tweet really does any favors. All right. But then again, look, the box office for the opening weekend seemed to do well. Okay. Normally I cover movies that have already had the run long and gone out of the box office, but this movie just released. So the box office for it over the course of its opening weekend, which is why I waited until uh, Tuesday to record this, just to get to make sure we had all the data in there. It did gross $24.9 million in the United States and, and Canada with $5.3 million in other territories for a opening weekend worldwide take home of $30.2 million. Now, it did actually come in second place at the box office. Uh, just underneath Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is there was actually a, a thing going around in the opening weekend about how it could potentially dethrone a Marvel movie because the drop off for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is one that a lot of people have been kind of talking about. To be fair, I saw Cocaine Bear and then I immediately walked over and watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I'll tell you this, I loved Ant-Man and the Wasp. It might have been I was just disappointed in Cocaine Bear, so it just made Ant-Man and the Wasp a much better movie. I don't know. But I'll have to watch them both again, and I will watch them both again. But that was kind of one of those weird moments where you're looking at this like this little movie about a, a drug-addled rage bear, and that could potentially dethrone a Marvel movie in its second weekend, but it didn't. It didn't. However, whether or not this movie has legs, I don't quite know, because CinemaScore, as I forgot to mention with the box office or this, the critical reception part, CinemaScore was only was a B- for the movie. Right. It was a B minus for this film. And that's usually what happens with like horror movies. They're uneven with the audience because some audience has certain expectations and they may not like what they got in regards to the gore or whatever. In this particular case, I completely agree with that sentiment. In fact, I don't think I've seen anybody really like attacking cinema score for that. They haven't been very critical. A lot of people have just kind of generally come to that conclusion but the question then becomes, will this movie actually have legs? That's something that's going to be determined as time goes on. So I don't have the answer to that for right now. But listen, I, it's, it's a unique movie at a time when we don't really seem to be getting a lot of unique movies theatrically. So on that note, I want to support it because I do want to see more things like this. Even though I felt both Megan and Cocaine Bear, the last two releases from Universal, were largely kind of meh, right? It, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't want to support what's coming out because I do want movies to stick around, obviously, but let's talk about 
uh, finally, let's talk about a sequel because as everyone always asks, right? What about a sequel? You know, I mean, the bear lives in the end. It doesn't die. The, the baby cubs are around. They're still killing people as, uh, as, as evidenced by one of the uh, post-credit or mid-credit scenes, really. And uh, Jimmy Warden has actually talked about this. He said that he has ideas for sequels beyond the first movie. Uh, he did jokingly talk about Cocaine Bear Goes to Space, but he was being facetious. He did suggest that there were are other stories to tell about the bear and that the bear is not actually the villain of the movie. He believes that the story is a product of circumstance and poor decisions by other characters, which offers opportunity to continue the narrative in subsequent films. Here's the thing with that. You have to establish a narrative. You do. You have to establish a narrative. The bear may not be the villain in the first movie because it's just a misunderstood animal that ended up getting really high on cocaine and becoming super addicted to it, going as far as to turn her own babies into crack babies. Right? Kind of. Cocaine ba cocaine babies. And so it's like, is it going to be like Son of Cocaine Bear? Is that going to be the sequel? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Eventually, the cocaine is going to dry up. It's going to go away. What's going to happen when those bears come down? Is that going to be the sequel? Are they going to go sniffing their way into like, you know, Colombia or Peru and try to fight their way through the cartel in order to get more cocaine? If you go, if they treat this like don't breathe, where, you know, you've got like don't breathe and then don't breathe too, where the bad guy in the first movie becomes the hero. Like we're talking like, I wasn't like, I haven't seen either one, but this is based on my understanding. He becomes like Rutger Hauer's blind fury in the sequel. So, and that was something people were like, well, wait, he was the bad guy in the first movie. Why is he the good guy here? Okay. Whatever. Hollywood loves their sequels. Make it happen any way you can. Uh, so that's kind of what could potentially be happening here. But on the other side, there was an event that happened in New Zealand right before the release of this movie where New Zealand police reported that they had found more than three tons of cocaine in the Pacific Ocean, causing the phrase cocaine shark to trend on social media. Elizabeth Banks was asked about this and she actually expressed interest in creating a cinematic universe of animals on drugs. She says if that's a good story, she would be opening to tackling another project featuring an animal. Uh, high on drugs and joked that Jaws with cocaine would be a great idea. But like I said, this movie is already Jaws meets Jason. They, they play up a lot of those, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily say Spielbergian elements, but there's times when you're like, yeah, they're, they're kind of channeling their inner Jaws on this. And I get that that works out. Okay. You know, the movie is again, the movie's not like the worst thing I've ever seen. I know I, I was going to do pros and cons and I think I just tackled the cons I don't want you to not watch this movie. I think I think your mileage may vary. My mileage varied, but you might find something in there that I missed. And I do intend to watch this one again when it comes to home video. It's entirely possible that my experience was maligned because there were three teenagers that had caused a ruckus as the movie began. Uh, we're talking like dropping N word, hard R, that kind of stuff you know, and just being really, really rambunctious. And I have spent years working in theaters, many of those years as a manager. So I kind of like went into manager mode, I think. And oh, I ratted them the hell out. I paid money to be there like everybody else. I just wanted them to shut the hell up. You know, they were using flash photography in the goddamn theater. Okay. I think I'm justified, but I might've just been in manager mode. And at that point in time, paying attention to them as well as the movie. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but these are just my initial thoughts of this. I look, I've watched enough movies in manager mode to know what I'm watching 
and to enjoy what I'm watching and to pay attention to what I'm watching as well as other things. This, again, this is not something that I've like not done. I just want, I have, I feel like I have to justify that in this case. I don't know why I feel like I'm like, I have to justify it in case there's any kind of criticism, like, you know, whatever. But I mean, I've, I've, I've done enough stuff with that to understand it. Anyway, just to kind of wrap things up here, I do recommend you watch the movie. It is a unique concept. We do need to support unique concepts. I hope you enjoy it. If you enjoy it, please tell me why you enjoy it. What about it you enjoyed? Because I already know what I didn't like. I want to hear what you liked about it because here's the way I view it. If you sell me on something that you like and I can pick up on your passion and pick up on your ideas and and everything else, then I, I, I will give me the opportunity to further appreciate the product. So that's my challenge to you. If you listen to this, if you get all the way to the end and you're like, God, this guy's an idiot. The movie was amazing. Let me know. You guys can find me on YouTube at Podio Commentary. It's probably the best place to leave comments on this. I'm on Twitter at Podio Commentary. I did pick up PodioCommentary.com, but that's not available yet. Um, and uh, yeah, you guys can find me in a lot of places. You can leave a review, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast. If you can leave a review. I will be back next week on March 8th to discuss the 1996 classic, The Frighteners. Then on March 15th, I'm going to be uh, covering Waxworks from 1988. That's actually a sponsored episode of the show. March 22nd will be Strange Days. Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron working together on a crazy underrated sci-fi movie, in my opinion. And then I'm going to end out the month of March with Jaws from 1975. I figure if we're talking about Cocaine Bear which is kind of like Jaws in the Woods, why don't we end the month by talking about the classic, The Goat of Goats, Steven Spielberg's, ah, love that movie. So yeah, that's the lineup for the month of March. I'll talk to you guys next time. Have yourself a great day. Thank you again for listening. Go enjoy a movie. I'll talk to you later. This is Matt Jarbo for Podio Commentary. See ya.